Good morning, everyone. As you all know, I read about one book per week. This past week's book was 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. I highly recommend reading it. If you're interested in the individual highlights that I made in the physical book, you can read those by clicking on the link in the email. Okay, the book's main argument. You have approximately 4,000 weeks to live if you reach the age of 80 years old. Rather than focus on productivity, efficiency, and life hacks, we should optimize our life for enjoying the short, precious time we get. Modern society has prioritized getting more done, working harder, and spending more time on what other people think is important, but that may not be the best way to spend your 4,000 weeks. There was five big ideas that I took out of the book. The first idea is that our lives are much shorter than we realize. Measuring this time in weeks has a powerful way of hammering the point home. Berkman writes, quote, the average human lifespan is absurdly, terrifyingly, insultingly short. Assuming you live to be 80, you'll have had about 4,000 weeks. Expressing the matter in such startling terms make it easy to see why philosophers from ancient Greece to the present day have taken the brevity of life to be the defining problem of human existence. We've been granted the mental capacities to make almost infinitely ambitious plans, yet practically no time at all to put them into action, end quote. Some people respond to this shortness of time with a desire to pack as much action into the weeks and years as possible. Berkman writes, quote, busyness has been rebranded as hustle, relentless work, not as a burden to be endured, but as an exhilarating lifestyle choice worth boasting about on social media. It's hard to imagine a cooler arrangement. Not only are our 4,000 weeks constantly running out, but the fewer of them we have left, the faster we seem to lose them, end quote. Society has evolved over time, and modern citizens are born into a world of ever-increasing demands. He writes, quote, The real problem isn't our limited time. The real problem, or so I hope to convince you, is that we've unwittingly inherited and feel pressured to live by a troublesome set of ideas about how to use our limited time, all of which are pretty much guaranteed to make things worse, end quote. All right, so that was the first big idea. Second big idea. The goal throughout history was for individuals to accumulate enough wealth to enjoy their remaining days. This changed at some point. Everyone is chasing productivity today, but that may not be ideal. Berkman writes, quote, for almost the whole of history, the entire point of being rich was not having to work so much. Productivity is a trap, end quote. In a weird twist, this pursuit of more work has become a virtue signaler's dream, quote, Busyness has been rebranded as hustle, relentless work, not as a burden to be endured, but as an exhilarating lifestyle choice worth boasting about on social media, end quote. I've put that in here twice. It is that important. Then, it is natural to think that you can work your way out of the backlog of work, but that's unlikely. Berkman talks about Parkinson's law. He says that it applies. Parkinson's law, he says, quote, work expands so as to fill the time available for its completion. The English humorist and historian C. Northcote Parkinson wrote in 1955, it's Parkinson's Law. The process of getting through your email actually generates more email. The general principle in operation is one you might call the efficiency trap. Rendering yourself more efficient, either by implementing various productivity techniques or by driving yourself harder, won't generally result in the feeling of having enough time because all else being equal, the demands will increase to offset any benefits, end quote. Okay, third big idea. Planning for the future may not be as valuable as you've been taught by society. He explains, quote, we treat our plans as though they are a lasso 
thrown from the present around the future in order to bring it under our command. But all a plan is, all it could ever possibly be, is a present moment statement of intent, end quote. Planning's a luxury for those who believe they have time on their side. He says, quote, when we claim that we have time, what we really mean is that we expect it. Any number of factors could confound our expectations, robbing you of the three hours you thought you had in which to complete an important work project. Your boss could interrupt with an urgent request. The subway could break down. You could die, end quote. Our entire society is built on the goal of doing things today with the benefit us in the future, that will benefit us in the future. He writes, quote, one way of understanding capitalism, in fact, is a giant machine for instrumentalizing everything it encounters, the earth's resources, your time and abilities, which are considered human resources, all in the service of future profit. But in focusing so hard on instrumentalizing their time, they end up treating their lives in the present moment as nothing but a vehicle in which to travel toward a future state of happiness. And so their days are sapped of meaning, even as their bank balances increase. Our obsession with extracting the greatest future value out of our time blinds us to the reality that, in fact, the moment of truth is always now, that life is nothing but a succession of present moments culminating in death, and that you'll probably never get to a point where you feel you have things in perfect working order, and that therefore you had better stop postponing the real meaning of your existence into the future and throw yourself into life now, end quote. All right, idea number four, digital addiction is real, but not for the reason you may think. Critics will point to use of smartphones and social media as a big problem in society. They yell and scream at the technology companies. They say that we should cure the addiction. But what if people are simply trying to escape the difficulty of having to listen to humans face-to-face and do the hard work of having a real conversation? Berkman writes, quote, The reason it's hard to focus on a conversation with your spouse isn't that you're serendipitously checking your phone beneath the dinner table. On the contrary, serendipitously checking your phone beneath the dinner table is what you do because it's hard to focus on the conversation. Because listening takes effort and patience and a spirit of surrender. And because what you hear might upset you. So checking your phone is naturally more pleasant. End quote. It's important that we learn to embrace boredom Rather than fight it, he writes, quote, when you try to focus on something you deem important, you are forced to face your limits, an experience that feels especially uncomfortable precisely because the task at hand is one you value so much. This is why boredom can feel so surprisingly, aggressively unpleasant. We tend to think of it merely as a matter of not being particularly interested in whatever it is we're doing. But in fact, it's an intense reaction to the deeply uncomfortable experience of confronting your limited control. End quote. Okay, idea number five. Everyone can benefit from something he calls cosmic insignificance therapy. We like to think of our work as important, but for the majority of us, it ain't going to matter in the end. Berkman writes, quote, a blunt but unexpectedly liberating truth that what you do with your life doesn't matter all that much. And when it comes to how you're using your finite time, the universe absolutely could not care less. No wonder it comes as a relief to be reminded of your insignificance. It's the feeling of realizing that you'd been holding yourself all this time to standards you couldn't reasonably be expected to meet. And this realization isn't merely calming, but liberating, because once you are no longer burdened by such an unrealistic definition of a life well spent, 
you are freed to consider the possibility that a far wider variety of things might qualify as meaningful ways to use your finite time, end quote. Once you realize that your contribution won't matter once you are dead, you become freed. You can work on the things that you want to do. You can invest your 4,000 weeks under the pursuit of happiness and enjoyment rather than productivity and efficiency. Berkman writes, quote, the average human lifespan is absurdly, terrifyingly, insultingly short, but that isn't a reason for unremitting despair or for living in an anxiety-fueled panic about making the most of your limited time. It's a cause for relief. You get to give up on something that was always impossible. The quest to become the optimized, infinitely capable, emotionally invincible, fully independent person you are officially supposed to be. Then you get to roll up your sleeves and start work on what's gloriously possible instead. End quote. I pulled seven memorable phrases or quotes out of the book as well. The first, we fill our minds with busyness and distraction to numb ourselves emotionally. The next one, the trouble with attempting to master your time, it turns out, is that time ends up mastering you. Then there's a quote from Richard Bach, you teach best what you most need to learn. The next one, principle number one is to pay yourself first when it comes to time. The fifth one, what you pay attention to will define for you what reality is. Next, by trying too hard to make the most of his time, he misses his life. And then lastly, is a quote from Alexander Herzen, says, because children grow up, we think a child's purpose is to grow up, but a child's purpose is to be a child. Okay, and now here are my takeaways. This book was unique in a way that is presenting an old idea. Our time is our most valuable resource. By measuring our life in the number of weeks, it feels long enough to pursue our goals, but short enough to have a sober view of what is truly important. My first big takeaway was the efficiency trap. Berkman talks about Parkinson's law and the likelihood that getting through your email will just create more email. It reminds me of the Wall Street lesson that market selection is usually more important than asset or security selection. Same thing is true in life. Are you working on the right things? Or are you optimizing to win the wrong game? I think it's an important question. My second big takeaway was a quote from cartoonist uh, and I think self-help coach now, uh, Scott Adams, that Berkman shares. It says, quote, a person with a flexible schedule and average resources will be happier than a rich person who has everything except a flexible schedule, end quote. So many of us, myself included, use our calendars as gospel. If an event, meeting, or a call is not on the calendar, it may as well not be happening. But this rigid approach to our time leaves very little room for flexibility and serendipity. This reminds me of Paul Graham's 2009 blog post on maker and manager schedules, which I highly suggest you read. I've linked to it in the email. My third big takeaway was our busyness and digital addictions may be cover-ups for our distaste in the lives we're living. Are you pulling your phone out to check your email for the 2,845th time today because you really want to see who messaged you? Are you just trying to avoid an uncomfortable silent elevator ride? Humans are social creatures, but phones have made it simple for us to hide from each other. Maybe we'd be better off trying to put the phone down and engage with one another. My last big takeaway was the finality of life. As many of you know, I deployed overseas in the Army years and years ago, and there was a situation early on in the trip that left a soldier dead. I've always said that my life changed that day because I realized that we were all going to die. 
This is a major point that Berkman hammers home throughout the book. He starts and ends with, the average human lifespan is absurdly, terrifyingly, insultingly short. He also discusses something like the cosmic insignificance therapy. Both of these are shared to remind us that we have a final deadline. Make sure you enjoy the time you are allocated and allotted while you are here. And before I let you go, Berkman lists five questions at the end of the book to ask yourself. I thought some of you who will not have time to read the entire book would like to go through the exercise. So here are the five questions. One, where in your life or your work are you currently pursuing comfort when what's called for is a little discomfort? Two, are you holding yourself to and judging yourself by standards of productivity or performance that are impossible to meet? Three, in what ways have you yet to accept the fact that you are who you are, not the person you think you ought to be? Four, in which areas of life are you still holding back until you feel like you know what you're doing? And lastly, how would you spend your days differently if you didn't care so much about seeing your actions reach fruition? Thought all five of those were great questions to kind of think through. So I hope you guys enjoy it. All right, that's it for today. Hope you all have a great day. Again, the book was 4,000 Weeks, Time Management for Mortals by Oliver Berkman. I've linked in the email, search Amazon, Google. You can find it pretty simply. Uh, highly suggest reading this one. I enjoyed it. And I hope you guys enjoyed these notes uh, and this book memo. I will talk to you all tomorrow.